a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes Scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. The reason is because you don't have the sacraments. I mean, once you don't have the sacraments, then basically everybody's a pastor. Because that's what a pastor is, a guy that's there to preach the gospel and minister the sacraments. Once the sacraments cease to mean anything in your theological construct, then ministry becomes something different than the giving out of God's gift of forgiveness. The reason why we go to church is not to hear about how we have to go out and, and be missionalists. The reason we go to church is to get the forgiveness of our sins. That's why Jesus instituted the church. And I think that's the point. See, when a pastor considers this option of, hmm, maybe I'll substitute these parts of the liturgy, the the question before him should not be, will it win more people over? The question before them should be, would this deliver Christ in a better way than it already does? And the parts of the liturgy are direct quotes from Holy Scripture. And I don't think that you can improve upon the delivery of Christ uh, from them. I mean, just imagine the next radical that shall be even more radical. This will be the book that I'm going to write. Even more Uh, radical. What part of cutting off your hand is unclear in the Bible? (laughs) If you still have two hands, you show yourself to be a false disciple of The Stockholm Syndrome of Podcast. This is Table Talk Radio. Isn't that true? That's pretty funny. Uh, yeah, if I I think it's true. If I knew what Stockholm syndrome was, I could conf- I could confirm that it's true. Well, is can... that where the captive uh, falls in love with their captor? Is that the Stockholm something syndrome? something like that? Yeah. So we sit here and abuse people with our nonsense, and they love it. Yeah, I don't know why. Is that what you're suggesting? <laughs> A little bit. I mean, you, you, we get emails from people like, "Hey guys, I'm." listening through all of the old episodes and it was like how many times we have to tell you not to do that yeah that's right don't listen to this show people always are introducing me they're like what do you want to say and i'm like well tell them i wrote a book and i i have grappling and i go on issues all the time and i'm a pastor you know and everything and they're like what do you want me to mention table talk i'm like no <laughs> do not mention table talk i'd rather you didn't tell them that evan and i do a wednesday morning show on rogue river <laughs> on rogue talk that's past tense now what are you gonna do you have you have a whole hour open on wednesdays now i don't know i'll write a book gotta write a book on the end times how about that seven myths about the end times i think that All would right, be a hit good me. book seven myths go work on it uh there will be a secret rapture wrong we're not yet in the millennium. Wrong. There's still prophecy to be fulfilled. Wrong. God has two people, Israel and the church. Wrong. Revelation is a chronology of the last days. Wrong. I can't remember anything. So after you get that published, are you uh, going to come on the radio with me and talk about it? <laughs> Heck yeah, man. For like 40 weeks in a row. <laughs> <laughs> That's some and, good stuff. Uh, Andrew Packer and I are working on this together, huh? He's uh, he's a good. This is this should be fun. Yeah, you're always surrounding I mean, don't get yourself. Too excited, listener. Probably it's going to be four years before any this sees the light of day. But anyway, right. it's, it's in the cooker. Always surrounding yourself with people smarter than you are, kind of like this show. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. right. Hey. All right. <laughs> at so least I know my limits. Today's lineup. Table Talk Radio. We're going to be looking at your emails sent to questions at tabletalkradio.org. We're going to play a little game that Pastor Wolfman likes to call What Verse Is Luther Commenting On? and rounding out the show with a little game called Ten Commandments in the News. 
So there you have yeah, it. Yeah, that sounds great. But first, buzzwords. Go ahead. My buzzword for you is Genesis. Genesis, uh, we normally think of it as the first book of Moses, the first book of the Bible. Uh, it is a Greek word, which means, uh, it kind of, I guess, the same word that we get generate from. It means the beginning, uh, the source, um, the, what do we call it? The, like a, a genealogy. That's another word uh, that we use for, um, that has that in there. So, uh, Genesis. No, oh, good. Okay. By the way, you know we got we're going to have a big Genesis debate coming up I think in the church. Everyone's stopping everyone's just decided to quit believing in Genesis and the 6 days of creation and so they want you know all this long errors and all, error eras and all this kind of stuff. So we're going to have to just get ready. We're going to have to debate it again in like 10 years or we'll get over it for a while. What do you mean talking about the evolution thing or what? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, but uh, but nobody wants to be an evolutionist anymore. I mean, everyone realizes that evolution is tyranny, but it's the it's the twenty four hour creation stuff that seems to get people. I mean, I don't know why. Like, there's so many things that are miraculous in the Bible. You know, so many things that are just plainly not what you would expect. I don't know why the I don't know why the age of the earth and the twenty four hour creation gets to people, but it does. I mean, it's the that we live in an old kind of an old universe is something that people love to believe. Like our our world is like in the Alzheimer's unit of the universe. Is <laughs> how people think about it. That's crazy. I mean, you could you just walk outside and you, it still smells young. I mean, it's granted the Earth shows signs of stress, but have I have I told you by the way my t three most convincing arguments for the age of the Earth? No. Okay. First argument. Let me think. I got to do it in the order from worst to best. Okay. Here here's the first one there was a flood a couple of years ago and i was out of town because i i'm always out of town for natural disasters but i got back into town carrie almost she left the house because she was sure that the park that's next to our house was going to overflow and flood the basement uh, it didn't but the floodwaters broke kind of out of the park which is also a big holding pond and down the street and they washed down peoria street in aurora and there was this 15 foot canyon it was right there uh, that what in just a matter of hours, whoosh. Now, if I was to walk up, up on that canyon and say and ask a scientist, well, how long did it take for this to to form? And they would go and they would start measuring. They say, well, we know that the the pavement wears down exactly 0.2 millimeters every year, and so we've measured and determined that this canyon took 70,000 years to form. Uh, and I said, well, I actually know that it only took about 20 minutes the other day because of the disaster of the flood. And that's really the kind of same thing that's going on in the earth, that the, that the, the, the earth shows signs of stress, but that's not necessarily a sign of age. Here's the second proof. I was visiting a cave in Oregon when we were up there visiting mom and dad, and there's some cave around your place where they've, they've made a man-made cave out so you, can, you don't have to walk around through the entrance. You can walk out the back door. And we were walking around this cave, and you know how the cave people love to say, hey, this stalactite is 15 batrillion years old. Mm -hmm. And I kind of look at the kids, and I say, well, how, to get, how do you know that? To the, She says, well, we just measure how fast it forms, and then we just count backwards. Proof. So then we're walking out this man-made cave, and we walk by this five-foot stalactite in this man-made shaft. And, I, and she just walks right by, and I said, wait, 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 how old is this? And she said, oh, that's about... 
23 years old or something? <laughs> and I said, well, how come it can get this big in 23 years and the other one has to take a batrillion years? And they're like, well, yeah, we don't exactly know. It seems like they go faster at first. <laughs> Wait a minute. Then, Is this what yeah. they call circular reasoning? <laughs> Science. Then my third proof for the age of the earth is Obama's face. Now, this is true not only for President Obama, but for every president. Is they have all the, you know they have these pictures of when the presidents are elected and then they have their face eight years later, and you look at it and you're like, boy, it looks like they aged about fifty years, right? But they only it was eight years. Now what what's the difference? The difference is the stress, right? The stress that that office puts on you ages you, and so stress also causes the looks of age, and that's I think exactly what we see in this world. If the world looks old, it's because it's stressed. Um, and uh, shows signs of this distress, both of the fall and of the flood. So there's my argument. So just for the record, you're saying that Obama's face is not a sign of evolution, but Obama's face is a sign of creation. That's right. Uh, interesting. All right. Um, well, uh, let's see how much time we got here. We have about two minutes left, so my theological buzzword for you is hermeneutics. And this is the study of God's Word, um, the, or arriving at a, a biblical interpretation of God's Word. Now, here's the thing about hermeneutics. So there's good ways of doing hermeneutics and bad ways of doing hermeneutics. And this is what is often not talked about. We assume that every interpretation of the Bible is the same. So people say, well, the Methodist has come up with this uh, interpretation of scripture. The Lutheran says that, the Catholic says this, and the Baptist says that, the non-denominational pastor says this. So who is to know what is actually right? Therefore, we should conclude that we can't really know what the Bible actually means. Well, it just so happens that there's good ways of arriving at interpretation and bad ways at arriving at interpretation. And there's all kinds of, uh, 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 what, principles or ways to, to do this, but let's, let's just take one, and that is the uh, principle of context in hermeneutics. And if you understand a Bible passage in its context, that is to say, what is the flow of this chapter, or better, this whole uh, letter or book talking about, then it helps me understand what this verse is about. But if I just take this one verse and make it kind of like a soundbite apart from the context, then I might come with a different uh, understanding, a different interpretation of what that verse means. Now, you wouldn't take someone who has two different meanings, one took it in context, the other one took it out of context, and say, well, I guess we can't understand what the Bible really is saying because we di we disagree on interpretation. No, it's just the guy who dripped out of context doesn't know what he's talking about. So good, good hermeneutics uh, applies certain principles of understanding uh, what a Bible passage means biblically. Yeah, I like it. Well, All done. right. Well, when we get back from this break, we're going to take a That's look it? at some of your emails at questions at tabletalkradio.org. Yeah, we had to go on on your, and that was like a four billion year long segment. I know that because I had to measure the time in which I listened to you rant about this. And also the stress. The stress made it seem I think longer so. than yeah. it was. Look at all the gray hair I have now. We'll be right back. You're on Table Talk Radio. Don't go anywhere. Two 
theologians for the price of none. Table Talk Radio will be right back. I save all the good stuff for grappling with the text, a little video Bible study that you could find at worldvieweverlasting.com. Oh, man. I feel like I'm in Mario Brothers. We gotta get some some better public domain music. You're the one that wanted this stuff. You, this, you, it's for you, dear listener, by the way, because we one. want to we want to do what? We want to be able to go back to the broadcasting of the show on the Facebook and YouTube. But Doesn't they get like us, us for the music, man. Doesn't like us. Yeah. So, no, boy, no. so we got it. We're switch, trying to switch over to the public domain music. This is mm-hmm. brutal. I don't know. You know, there is an advantage. I always used to say, I mean, when I talk about always used to, I mean, like yesterday. <laughs> Whenever people complain about the hymns, I say, well, that makes you like the sermon more. So maybe if our bump music is really bad, people will enjoy know. the t- conversation more. I think that if we get rid of the music, people might not listen at all. <laughs> I think that was the saving grace. Like, this is really bad, but at least in 11 minutes, there'll be more music. Yes. All right. Well, let's go to the email bag. Okay, I got one here for you. Dear host of exceptional mediocrity. Why, hello. Over the... Uh, yeah, oh, you startled me. Sorry. wasn't expecting you to respond so soon. <laughs> over the past year or so, there's been much debate over ACXIV. That's also known as ACXIV. ACXIV. Also known uh, as Augsburg... 14, Augsburg Confession, Article 14. But I prefer to say Axiv. This past convention, talking about the Missouri, oh, we're inside politics here, dealt with a major issue concerning this article in the uh, LLD. That means License Lay Deacon Program. However, I've often wondered if there's another major issue within our synod that deals with this article. So my question is, do blogs fall under the article? There's so many blogs that deal with theological issues and by their nature are public. So if these people are seeking to teach others through their blogs, are they not publicly teaching? And many of the bloggers are not ordained, so it would seem that they're violating this article of our confession. I myself have not come to complete decision to the question, so I'm leaning toward the idea that it's a violation of Augsburg 14, so I'd appreciate your thoughts on the subject also. I was wondering if there was any progress being made on the typical Fort Wayne grad t-shirt. It seems like it'd be well-received among your listeners. Uh, This is from Gideon. Hey, Gideon, thank you. Gideon, the prophet. Now, Augsburg 14 says, We do not permit a person to preach, teach, or uh, administer the sacraments unless they are properly called. And this is a big thing because in the public teaching of the church, we want to have called and ordained ministers doing the work. Now, what Gideon is asking is, what about blogs and I would say other maybe social media posts and uh, even other media? Does this count as publicly teaching in the church? That's the question. Got it? Got it. All right, so what do you, what's you your want me to can't tackle that? Yeah. Uh, okay, so I, I, first of all, what, what AC14 is putting us in the context of is where an uh, uh, altar is and where a pulpit is. Uh, how are you sending out things while we're talking? I just got an email about your Wednesday whatnot. Are you? Yeah, you should subscribe to that uh, <laughs> if you're listening and you don't know. That's uh, it's great. That's very distracting. Anyway, um, <laughs> so it's it's putting us before an an altar and a pulpit. So you expect um, me to do two things, one thing at once. I mean, what do you think I do? Whatever you're talking. <laughs> with, I work to do here. When when uh, uh, when when someone is uh, called, 
they are placed amongst a particular people of a of a congregation. So uh, I am called not to serve every Christian in the world, but I am called to serve uh, those gathered at Faith Lutheran Church in Rogue River, Oregon. And Pastor Wolfmiller is called to serve those saints at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Um, now, so this the AC14, the Office of the Holy Ministry, is placing us then in the context of particular Christians. And so um, for me to uh, write an article uh, cannot is, is not necessarily me teaching in the church that is like the the church militant to which I have to be ordained to do so. So I think there's a place to say um, I'm going to write a theological blog. Uh, I might not even be ordained or called, but I can uh, comment on the Lord's Word with fellow Christians, and that is not an office of teaching in the church. There's something in the ancient church there was a— um and the medieval church had this order too. Is that the difference between a local teacher and a and a, a teacher of the church Catholic was the the doctoral degree, the office of doctor. Once you became a doctor, you're authorized to teach in the church. So it's becoming a doctor that authorizes you, for example, to publish books to put stuff out there. Now we've totally lost that distinction. I kind of wish we'd have it, um, but we we're just kind of in a capitalistic sort of thing. It's it's a free for all. Now, I have a, you know, we, Evan and I have talked about this a lot, and those of us who are doing kind of media and online stuff have talked about it a lot, um, because, you know, the question is, are we going beyond our own call to do something like Table Talk Radio? And I think we have to realize that there's a difference between, um, and by the way, we were doing Table Talk Radio before Evan was, uh, before Evan was ordained, when you were still at the seminary, then vicar, then back at the seminary. Yeah, there was a the progression, I think. Or a degression, one of them. Yeah, it just keeps getting worse. Uh, but th- this, um, uh, th- so this idea, you know, is is this a legitimate sort of thing to do? And I think the way that we have to treat it is, if the if the table talk radio is helpful to people, uh, then then God be praised. We want to do everything we can to be orthodox and put the put the scriptures before people in a helpful sort of way. But there's but there's never a way that we would ever compel people to listen, and even expect people to listen. Uh, that's not true. When I go to Bible, when I go to teach Bible class, and when I go to preach, I compel the people to come. I I expect the congregation to come and listen. Uh, but the the internet or the blog and all this sort of stuff is of a different sort. It it ha- doesn't have that same connection, um, that same compulsion, that same expectation uh, that we have. So so can so can a layperson publish? The even when we were talking about in the in the ancient world when when we had the distinction between a doctor, you could be a doctor without being ordained. So Philip Melanchthon, for example, is a classic example, or C.S. Lewis, another example. They were lay people who were writing theological stuff, and a lot of those things were particularly helpful. Of course, in both of those examples, there was stuff that wasn't helpful, too. Uh, but um, They were also uh, they were, smart, by the way. <laughs> but they were writers uh, and publishers, and they were not the theologians. So I, I do think that the context of Augsburg 14... Uh, has to do with the public teaching of the church that comes with the authority of the office. And if we're doing anything that we think has that authority on the Internet, then we're probably violating Augsburg 14. But if we're trying to say something helpful, um, uh, you know, and putting it out there, you know, fair enough. Now, I would say that there is, though, a distinction that should be made. I don't know how much I really want to talk about this, but I think we— you know, to say, can a layperson blog about theological things? Fine. I think that's fine. But uh, but there's the case where someone is a pastor and they're removed from office. 
And I think in cases like that, we have to be particularly careful when the, when the office has been taken away from you that you don't cause public scandal by continuing to, to publicly teach. And I think that's a distinction that we should probably have kicking around sometimes. I was also going to raise an issue. I mean, there's there's a risk of kind of a cult of personality on podcasts and blogs and things like that. Yeah, you know, we deal with that all the time. <laughs> the fan base, you know, that kind of a thing. <laughs> I hear that. Uh, at least that's what I hear from some of the other podcasts that they struggle with this. Um, but w- but we want to we want to make sure that um, we don't substitute our favorite podcast or or blogger as our pastor. Um, and so uh, the the Lord has given given you um, provided that you're in a church has given you a uh, a man to care for your soul, and uh, he does not do that through the radio, and he does not do that through um, his blog. He does that by coming to you, talking to you, speaking to you, uh, giving the Lord's Supper to you, um, absolving you, baptizing you. This is this is the way the Lord has given spiritual care uh, in our world. And so I think that we want to be sure that, uh, yeah, listen listen to or read to whatever you like, uh, but don't let it be a substitute as as the church. I think that we were talking about that right before the show, how um, there's some guys, these guys that are really good, and we ought to be better at it when you hear from someone to point them to the local church because that is where our joy is. And, and there is a danger that we substitute that, that we, we kind of latch onto the celebrity pastor rather than to our, the humble pastor that the Lord has given to us in the place where we are. And if, if, if the theology of new media is pulling people away from their parish and away from their pastor, then let's just burn it all down because that is working against the Lord's will and, his, and what he wants. I have to say that, I mean, I suppose there's always that risk, but I have to say from the stories that we hear about, at least, it's doing the opposite effect, and that is to point people to the local congregation. And, uh, you know, we we get story after story, and so do all the other uh, Lutheran podcasts out there of people saying, look, I, I, I found a Lutheran church in my area because of the things I listened to, because of the things I was finding on the Internet, and uh, God be praised for that. Yep, that's right. All right, what else we got in the email bag? You want another email? Okay, here's one. Facebook status theology. This is from Stanley, who signs his his uh, his email, Irene Humin. Man, here's people writing to us with Hebrew or... <laughs> I think Irene that's Greek. Humin. I mean, it's or Latin or Slavic. I don't know. I don't know Slavic. <laughs> anyway... Uh, he says, a Lutheran, a Lutheran pastor in my town posted this on their Facebook status. It doesn't seem quite right to me, but maybe I'm misreading it. Thanks for the mediocrity. Here's the quote. I don't wish to be an apologist of my faith. I wish to be a liver of it. I think liver means someone who lives it, not like... <laughs> Better than a colon next- of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my kidneys. I'm, the, I'm a kidney of my faith. <laughs> I'm my faith's spleen. <laughs> I want to be a liver of it. Pretty sure that's not how that was meant to be read. The apologist spends his days defending that which he cannot fully comprehend. The liver of faith instead spends his day loving God and his neighbor. The believer's greatest offense for all they think, say, and do is bound up in the one name, Jesus Christ. What do you think about that? I think I'm hearing bump music just in oh, time. Man. <laughs> <sighs> all right, we're going to go see what the liver can do during this break. Get something to drink, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. When we get back from this break, when we finish up this email, we'll play the game, What Verse is Luther Commenting On? That would be a good one. Stay tuned. Hey, do you think if someone has their liver removed, they could be said to have been delivered? 
think so. Brought to you by the Puns Department of Table Talk Radio. How many Table Talk Radio listeners does it take to change a light bulb? You'll probably have to settle for one. The daily Bible meditation blog is at rightlydividedbible.wordpress.com, where three chapters of the Bible are considered each day. Check it out. Is that one better? No. No. I missed your grumpy pants with music. <laughs> all right, we're Mr. Grumpy Pants. Yeah, you're Mr. Grumpy Pants about all the songs that I've picked. I'm not grumpy about them. I just they're just bad songs. <laughs> this is not subjective; it's objective. <laughs> I think they're fantastic. Making that a subjective remark. All right, well, so you probably think our show's pretty good too. Now, I don't want to be an apologist for my faith. I wish to be a liver of it. And a, well, I want to be the. Stomach and the large intestines. (laughs) The apologist spends his days defending what he cannot fully comprehend. The liver of faith instead spends his days loving God and neighbor. Uh, The believer's greatest offense for all they think, say, and do is bound up in the one name, Jesus Christ. All right, what do you think of that Facebook status? Uh, Yeah, I'm not a fan of this. I mean, it's... You don't like it? (laughs) I wonder if... um... Uh, I, uh, here, here's a problem. Uh, at least one of the problems is that we start to split apart um, faith and love. And this is one of the marks of the pietists. Remember the pietists? They come around every once in a while. And one of the things they like to do is drive this wedge between faith and love and say, hey, we're all about the love stuff. Deeds, not creeds, baby. And you know what? Someone, Whoever whoever someone does the deeds, not creed, creeds gambit on you, they got you. Because what are you going to do? You know? Like, well, I, hey. I don't want to love. I just want to hate on people by arguing the faith. No, I mean, you just can't accept the premise. You can't accept the premise that the two should be distinguished from one another. How about we apologize for our faith? That means defend the faith. And also, how about we love one another? What's wrong with that? Huh? False dichotomy. Um, so so, so I, what we, <laughs> how much of the Bible do you think we'd have if the apostles said, I don't want to be a defender of the faith. I want to be a liver of it. Uh, the, the the apologist spends his day defending that which cannot be fully comprehended. Well, okay, f- f- fine. But so does – you could say the apostle and the prophet spends his day defending that which cannot be fully comprehended. And God be praised for the prophets and the apostles. Uh, I don't know. There's just – you know, we have, we have this distaste for polemical theology. Um, now, we shouldn't love to fight, by the way, but we, we also should not be afraid of it. I mean, courage is what we're, is called for in these days. I mean, this person who says, I don't want to be an apologist, I just want to love, um, well, what are you going to do when you come to uh, First Peter, it says, be ready always to make a defense for the hope that is in you? Well, I just ignore that passage. I just love, you know. I just yep. love. And, and also, this, um, so first of all, the first problem is it makes a false dichotomy, you know. That why, why can't we have both and? <laughs> that we would be about uh, loving, and that we would also be about uh, defending the faith. Um, but also, it seems to put the emphasis on something in which our salvation is not. <laughs> so, so great. You love, you love to love God, and you love to love neighbor. Neither of those things save you. Right. That's right. 
That's right. I mean, it, it is the faith, the doctrine that saves. Give attention to yourself and to the doctrine. In doing so, you save yourself and those who hear you, Paul says. Paul the hater says to Timothy the hater. <laughs> hey, haters going to hate. I mean, we should say that, you know. We should just put uh, Bible passages and say, hashtag hate tweet, hashtag Paul was a hater. You know, I mean, man. The last, the last part of what this status says is, um, the believer's greatest defense for all they think, say, and do is bound up in one name, Jesus Christ. And I think what that's saying is um, you don't have to worry about being an apologist making a defense for things. All you got to do is worry about Jesus. Well, what do you do when someone says Jesus didn't exist? You say, yeah, he did. Oh, you've just entered into the realms of apologetics because <laughs> you're making a defense for what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. So anyway, all right, that's it for the emails for today. Let's play the game. What Finally, because I'm ready for this game. <laughs> this is so good. The game called What Versus Luther Commenting on in Genesis. Okay. The way this game works is I'm reading Luther's Genesis commentary, which is fantastic. And I got the new doodad called the tablet. Have you seen these tablets before? They're like huge cell phones. Those things have been around for like 10 and, years. Uh-huh. Yep, I have. I got one, and it on it, it has the Logos Bible software, which on that has Luther's works back from the old seminary days, so I could sit here and read Luther, and not only can I read Luther, but I can copy and paste Luther into my little Evernote. You know what the coolest thing about that is, Ooh, is that you can man. search Luther, which is a great tool. Mm-hmm. Now, I quite, haven't quite figured out how to search him on my tablet, but anyway, uh, it's gonna, uh yeah, so... So anyway, I can I got all these just drop quotes from Luther that I put into this thing here, so I can um, I could read Luther, and you can try to guess what verse he is uh, commenting on. Okay, how about that? This I is like going to be really cool. Um, so it has now, to be in the see. book of Genesis, right? Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, in the book of Genesis. In fact, I'm in volume one. I haven't gotten that far, so it's going to be early in the book of Genesis. All right. Um. How about this? What else is the entire creation than the word of God uttered by God or extended to the outside? That's so great. What else is the word of God? Wait, you did it again? What else is? What else is the entire creation mm. than the word of God uttered by God or extended to the outside? Luther's saying the whole creation is nothing more than the word of God spoken. Right, right. Uh, Well, I'm going to say this is a pre-fall verse. Um, Not to say that the fall negates what what God said or even what Luther said there. But um, I guess my thought pattern here is that, yes, everything exists out from the word of God. But then later in the scriptures, they're going to draw a contrast, like in Isaiah 40 or somewhere in Isaiah, (laughs) where uh, all flesh is like grass, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So it's it's there contrasting the how how this world is is temporary, but God's word endures forever. And the reason that's true is because of the fall, because sin entered this world. Before that, um, you would have a world that exists forever before sin entered this world. So um, yep. I'm going to say this is probably the very first chapter, uh, somewhere like uh, uh, where Jesus, or where God Himself says, um, uh, "Let there be light," and there was light. 
yeah. Except for you're one verse off. I'm looking for uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 5. You, I think you were in verse 4. Evening and morning became one day. <sighs> That's pretty close. I'm going to give you 50 points. Okay. So close. I'll take 50. P-R- isn't that great? I mean, this this has to do exactly with the anti-catechism stuff. That the whole world is just God's word. It's all that we have a word. It's the, the, everything depends on the speaking of God. Just fantastic. <sighs> all right, let's see here. You want another one? I do. The source of all sin truly is unbelief, and doubt, and abandonment of the word. Because the world is full of these, it remains in idolatry, denies the truth of God, and invents a new God. Huh. Read that Read that first part again. The source of all sin truly is unbelief and doubt and abandonment of the word. Because the world is full of these, it remains in idolatry, denies the truth of God, and invents a new God. I think that this is probably... Uh, during the temptation in the Garden of Eden, this would be chapter 3, where the serpent comes to Eve and says, um, did God really say that you should not eat of it? Or says that, um, you know, you could, uh, that God doesn't want you to to be like him, this kind of thing. So I would say at the temptations of uh, of Eve in the Garden of Eden. You are right. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, for 200 points. Nice. Now, what do you think? you think Luther's right about this when he says it? The source of all sin is unbelief and doubt and abandonment of the word. Again, it all comes back to the word, see? And so the devil's work is to tempt Adam and Eve not just towards the fruit, but away from the word which forbade them of eating the fruit. Um, yeah, I think that Luther's right because... Um, that's what Romans 14 says. Anything that does not flow from faith is sin. <laughs> so here's a couple more verses that have to do with this, by the way. Okay. Uh, Luther says he is, a, is talking about the devil. He's a very bitter enemy of the word of God because he knows that our salvation rests on obedience to the word. And then you could guess on this one. This is what the devil is wont to bring about in all his temptations, that the farther man draws away from the word, the more learned and the wiser he appears to himself. How about that? So the farther wow. we go from the scriptures, the more wise we appear to be to ourselves. Hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Uh, so is that is that a quote from his commentary on Genesis also? Yep. So that's, well, that's going to be right at the same spot where, where uh, particularly where he says um, that, that you, this will make you wise like God. Almost. You're one verse off. It's verse, this, is, this is on chapter 3, verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. As, oh, I see. 50 points. Yes. 300 points there. All right. That's all I care about. It's not like these games are an excuse to learn theology. It's, I'm all about the points. We have about 30 seconds left here. The, 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 therefore, the root and source of sin is unbelief and turning away from God, just as, on the other hand, the source and root of righteousness is faith, just like that verse you were talking about. Satan first draws us away from faith to unbelief. When he achieved this, that Eve did not believe the command that God had given, it was easy to bring about this also, that she rushed to the tree, plucked the fruit, and ate it. The outward act of disobedience follows sin. 
which through unbelief has fully developed in the heart. This is the verse, whatever the number is, where it says, uh, she, take, she took from the tree and ate it and gave it to her husband who was with her. 3-6, you are right for 200 points. 500 points we got to so talk far. more about this Luther spell. We'll be right back. Tell me you like this one. I'll find there isn't a way in the English break. language to indicate we are using the singular you. But thank you for listening to Table Talk Radio. I'm reading Luther's sermons from the House Postal every week. You can find it at www.hope-aurora.org. Click on the Luther Sermon Podcast. And we're back on Table Talk Radio, where we finish out the game. What verse is Luther commenting on? I got 200 points there at the end, the buzzer beater, to uh, cash in on 200 more points, where I guess rightly that it was where uh, Eve took from the tree that was forbidden and gave to her husband who was with her. Now, the key thing about this verse is really interesting, is that Luther says the sin happened before they ate the fruit. And this is a key thing for us to understand this text, because normally we think of the sin as the eating of the fruit. But that the, the sin already happened when Adam and Eve did not believe God's word. And the eating of the fruit was only a, um, a fruit of, of that sin. In fact, this is indicated in the differences between the way God speaks about the eating and the way Eve speaks about it. Remember, God says, on the day that you eat of it, dying you will die. Uh, so let's translate, you, sh- you will surely die. Uh, in other words, that same day that you're eating, you're going to be dead. And so it's not a cause and effect sort of thing, but Eve takes it to be cause and effect, like the like the fruit was going to be poison that was going to kill her. If I eat it, I, I will perhaps die. Um, but she'd already had died before she ate. Uh, Luther says on this verse, the poison of Satan, she drank with her ears. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Can you believe it? So she died when she believed the word of the devil instead of the word of God. I want to get your take on this, um, because... I've heard two different explanations to this part. So you know how um, what God commands Adam, which at this point Eve is not hanging around, and says, you should, not eat of, you should not eat of this tree lest you die. And then when Eve is talking to the serpent, uh, she says we should not eat of it or even touch it lest we die. Now, I've heard um, that explained in a positive way to say, oh, see, see Eve not only— um, uh, took great care for the Lord's word, but wanted you know nothing to do with sin. So she either either Adam taught her something about God's word that was um, to take great special care, or she herself concluded that. But I've also heard from the negative side, kind of like the Pharisee does. The Pharisee builds a hedge around the law to kind of of, of a way of works righteousness. What do you think on that? Well, by by time Eve is quoting God and Adam, she gets three things wrong. And, and that's already that we see that things are really going bad. And that's one of them. She adds that you shouldn't touch it. So uh, God never forbid, forbade them to touch the fruit, only to eat it. But then she also has this idea of cause and effect. If you eat it, you will die is not what God said. God said on the day you eat of it, you will die. And Eve says uh, if we, we shouldn't eat it lest we die. So it's, it makes it a cause and effect. And then the third thing, and this is hard for us to see in the English, because in the Hebrew it says, dying you will die you will you will die dead and that's an indication it's not just an intensification it's an indication that there's a twofold death that comes along with the eating there is a spiritual death and then there is a physical death 
dying he will die. So that, that's why Adam and Eve didn't physically die right away. They died spiritually already when they believed the devil. But that is weakened by Eve so that she says, lest you die. Um, so that, so that it, it, death becomes a, a kind of a possibility. And it's, uh, so it's, it's all starting to fall apart already. Now, I, I think I see it as an indication that Eve was already confounded. So um, I don't know if it came from Adam, like Adam added it or Eve added it, or she's in the moment, so she just is trying to remember what God said, but the devil has her already so muddled already that he, she, she doesn't quite know what to do with herself. Uh, it's, it's somewhere in between there. But we already know that things are bad when the quoting of, the, of God's word is different than what he says. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Uh, all right, well, should we play a little Ten Commandments in the news? Yes. All right, I got some audio here. Do you want to tell us first what the point of this game is? Yeah, the uh, the Ten Commandments are not the pool rules. The Ten Commandments are, in fact, the very structure of the universe. And so when we watch the news, we play the game all the time with our family. What are the Ten Commandments that have to do with this? And that is helpful because we realize the Ten Commandments are not just something that we learn in catechism class, but, in fact, are the Ten, um, perhaps... Aside from the creed, the doctrine of the gospel, the Ten Commandments are the ten most important things that we know in the world. If you know the Ten Commandments, you can do anything. You can be judge, ruler, king, etc. Um, that's what Luther says. So we play this game to be better at thinking about the Ten Commandments in the world we live in. By the way, a quick email from Brian in Ohio who says, um, You have said the Ten Commandments in the news is a great game to play with the family. Well, this may be true. Spinoffs such as Ten Commandments in this argument with my wife has been less have been met with disastrous results. <laughs> in other news, all plans for future procreate. Oh no, it's private. All right. Um, <laughs> uh, there's some Ten Commandments in that email. <laughs> Let's go to this news story uh, from Wyoming. Wyoming Judge Ruth Neely has asked the state Supreme Court to keep her on the bench despite her public refusal to perform same-sex marriage ceremonies based on religious objections. According to Neely, homosexuality is a named sin in the Bible, as are drunkenness, thievery, lying, and the like. I can no more officiate at a same-sex wedding than I can buy beer for the alcoholic. The State Judicial Conduct Board found she violated ethics rules that required judges to obey the law and perform their duties without bias or prejudice, and therefore should not be allowed to work as a municipal court judge. The Wyoming Supreme Court has temporarily suspended Neely and will issue a final ruling at a later date. All right, so there's an update to that story, and this is the uh, later date. Uh, let's see, this is... Um, what publication is this? Christian Headlines. It says, um, in a 3-2 decision, the court ruled that Neely violated judicial conduct code, but that she wouldn't have to be removed from the bench. Judge Neely, quote, Judge Neely shall, ne shall either perform no marriage ceremonies or she shall perform marriage ceremonies regardless of the couple's sexual orientation. Um, so, uh, now it's interesting. Neely has never actually been asked to perform a same sex marriage in the 2000 person town of Pendale, <laughs> Wyoming. 
Um, but that she was asked by a reporter if she would do it. So here's this hypothetical coming along. Would you? And she said, no, I couldn't do that. And that's you what were... caused this whole thing. There was never – This reminds <laughs> me of that story about that pizza place. Remember yeah. how there was this yeah, yeah. big thing about how, would you would you cater a wedding? And they wouldn't they ask some pizza place? Like anybody has ever in the whole history of the universe <laughs> asked a pizza place to cater a wedding. And they said, uh, probably not. And then the wrath of the social justice warriors. We found them. I know. Crazy. It is insane. Anyway, what's your take on the Ten Commandments for this story? Well, uh, so we got marriage. That's a pretty big one. You shall not commit adultery. That has to do with the... um, what uh, has to do with the uh, uh, the question of whether two men can be married or not, and the Ten Commandments to that say, nope. Uh, it also has to do with the Fourth Commandment. Oh, you know what? It very explicitly has to do with the Eighth Commandment. Eighth Commandment uh, establishes a judiciary, uh, judges hearing and deciding on crimes. So the very office that we're talking about is the Eighth Commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, truth-telling in public, and so forth. Um, the, uh, so that's there. Also the fourth commandment that has to do with civil authority in our world. And then we, this is kind of showing the inevitable conflict that's happening as our friend Al Moeller. I talk about him like I, I've actually met him. <laughs> you hang out. I, I, I was trying to talk to guys at issues, etc., to get him to come and talk at the conference and then say, Hey, why did you have a speaker's banquet and put me next to Al Moeller? <laughs> that is a f- big fanboy. Anyway, he makes the point in his book called "We Must Not or Cannot Be Silent" that there's an inevitable, inevitable, inevitable—that's a nice word—inevitable conflict between uh, religious freedom and sexual freedom, religious liberty and sexual liberty. And because the social revolution is basically about sexual liberty, it has to run up against religious liberty. Now, can a judge excuse herself from doing these sorts of things? Answer, of course. That's so stupid. Of course they can. Unless it stands against the um, the purveyors of culture in the sexual revolution, and then they get to have the, you know, this wrath of the social justice warriors come, you know, thrashing down on them. Well, this is my, for, this for is my favorite part of the article. It says, in a 3-2 decision, the court ruled that Neely violated judicial code, judi- conduct code, but that she wouldn't have to be removed from the bench. Okay, so this this let that hang there. She violated judicial code. All right. The next line says, um, Judge Neely shall either perform no marriage ceremonies or shall perform marriage ceremonies regardless of the couple's sexual orientation. Well, she was never even asked. So if if you're ruling that she must perform no marriage ceremonies and she hasn't or even been asked to do how can you say in the previous line that she's violated judicial conduct code by doing what talking to a reporter <laughs> i mean uh, this, this doesn't make any sense to me so 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 your sure. thought that you would not do a thing is what violated your conduct this conduct code. i know I know, man. You got to be careful how uh, if the police are around getting you. I was reading some old G.K. Chesterton thing where he says, when, "As soon as the the government becomes involved in our private life more than our public life, everything is on its head." And he was talking specifically about healthcare, you know, and talking about how the police are going to come and make sure you're sleeping on the right kind of pillow. <laughs> great, interesting. But but now the government's gone even further. Now it, what matters most is not what you do or don't do, but what you would do and might do. You know, my goodness. 
That's it. Well, that's going to be it. So uh, run off the commandments real quick. Uh, so we had the sixth, obviously. We had the eighth. We had the second. Religious freedom is probably somewhere between the uh, third and the fourth. We had the fourth commandment in there. Uh, and always the first and always the ninth and tenth. That's really the uh, that's really the big one uh, that we miss, but that's always being broken, the first commandment, having Th- another God. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Where what you think about the points matters more than the points themselves. (laughs) I think the points are awesome. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep gain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the Calvinists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.